She's not dead and look at us go Watching pitch perfect Twilight is torn, man, weekend is gone Watching her love rules that went by that you don't know And I can't drink her This is her time, away we go And welcome back to another episode of Kicking It with Kendrick. Uh, I believe this is a a special episode, right? Uh, kind of special. It is just about Valentine's Day. Yeah, and as people know, Valentine's Day is the day where people fall in love or something. It's also a movie. A very yeah, it is not good movie from what I've heard. I remember it being okay. It had Taylor Lautner and Taylor Swift and. <laughs> A lot of other people, I can't remember. Those were the two highest profile at the time. But, like, it, was, it wasn't that bad. It was like, we're about to talk about a movie some, somewhat like this. But there was a time, right around 2010 to 2014, where there were just lots and lots of romantic comedy anthologies. Sort of in the same vein as Love Actually. But Love Actually was almost 10 years old by that point. So, like, that one doesn't belong to that particular movement. But, like, mm. all these little rom-com anthologies, and none of them, I think, were egregiously bad. None of them were, like, transcendently good, but they weren't actually all that bad. They were, like, fun little throwaway movies you could, you know, go on a date on, on to in Valentine's Day. I think if you know what you're getting into, it's, it's a lot better. <laughs> you're not yeah. expecting literally anything. It's a lot better. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, unfortunately... Anna Kendrick was not in, or actually maybe fortunately Anna Kendrick was not in one of the Valentine's Day anthology movies, um, but she was into, uh, well, I guess one of these movies is slightly more romantically based than the other, but they both feature romance. They are both, yeah, I don't know if these were necessarily the perfect movies for Valentine's Day, but I think it's going to work out. Here we are, two young men talking about the joys of motherhood and the joys of cancer. For Valentine's Day. Yeah, of course. Well, the first movie we're talking about is what to expect when you're expecting. I hope that's not a spoiler. Yes. It's based on a book. I didn't know this, but it's based on a actual manual, like not not a not a fictional novel or anything, but a literal manual for pregnancy. And they use that as inspiration to adapt into a feature length anthology film that was obviously not that educational on pregnancy from what i can tell yeah so i'm just gonna come right out and say it that's not a good idea for a movie i think that it's a bad idea to take like educational books with like like educational books that aren't like talking about a historical event or something and turn them into movies 
that just seems like a really dumb idea. This movie was coherent, so it certainly worked better than it could have. I actually didn't dislike this movie that much, but I think that like it's a fundamentally flawed concept. It's just such a weird thing to do, and I really don't know why they would do that. Yeah, I was talking to my, my friend about this. I was saying, like, we just finished watching the movie, and, and she was. Uh, I was talking about how it seemed like the director of the movie got a call out of nowhere from the studio asking him if he had any ideas, and coincidentally, he had a pregnant wife or something, and he looked for the first thing he saw in the room, and it was the manual <laughs> what to of, of pregnancy, what to expect when you're not expecting, and he just pitched that, and he was like, I mean, I got nothing, but let's see if it they like. I'm just gonna yolo it so I don't embarrass myself. And they actually like the idea. And he's like, "Oh well, shit! Now I gotta make a movie out of it," which it seems like he really struggled to do because it's a very I feel like contrived plot, if that makes sense. A lot, a lot of forced stuff. So um, that story that you mentioned is realistic, but it's not. It's not quite right. But there are some points of that that are like shockingly close to the truth. The director of this actually did not know about the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, but he did just get a call out of the blue being like, hey, you want to direct this movie? And he's like, sure, I got nothing else going on. And so he was directing this movie out of nowhere. And as he read through the script, he's like, what is this? I don't understand what's going on here. Mm. But eventually it came around and thought, you know what? I think this, this, this could be interesting enough. This was pitched to, I'm not... I don't know who the writer was. I guess Shauna Cross and Heather Hatch wrote it. When this was pitched to the studio, the studio apparently greenlit this thinking it had a lot of franchise potential, (laughs) which is, again, everything about this movie is just weirder and weirder coming off of the fact that it's literally based on a pregnancy manual. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess this came out slightly after the Avengers, like a couple of years after. So maybe they saw an ensemble cast and they're like, hmm, maybe there's there's uh, ways we can expand the story. Um, but yeah, I don't think any of the stories were really worth expanding on. They, they were pretty four straightforward tales of love slash the, the joys Preg- of pregnancy. I mean, pregnancy. Well, yeah. pregnancy and like... I guess getting ready for that. I guess like where the sequel potential would have come in here is every woman has a different experience with pregnancy. You could theoretically make an infinite 500 <laughs> movies about 500 different women experiencing pregnancy. Yeah. I don't think you know, I don't think that like making more than one movie about what to expect when you're expecting is actually a good idea. But theoretically, you can make it work. It could work. Yeah. I didn't necessarily feel the, the four tales they told were that unique, I guess. Or I don't know why they chose them, but I don't know. Do you want to kind of go through like each of the plot lines, I guess? Yeah, I guess just before we do, uh, I'll, I'll mention just we haven't explicitly stated it yet. What to expect when you're expecting. It's an anthology movie, sort of, following five different couples Basically, as they go through the process of getting ready to have a child. With one of them, it's uh, adoption. So I think like the main point of these five different stories is these are all five potentially very different 
pregnancy slash getting ready to get a child experiences. Uh, and each of them is unique in their own way. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it in just a minute, but I did appreciate how like none of these stories felt exactly the same as each other. On the other hand, it's not like any of them stood out. Well, one, one of them in my mind stood out particularly, but the rest were just sort of not that interesting to me. Yeah, I, I definitely say the most, the most, well, out of nowhere, but also probably the worst slash most boring one was the Anna Kendrick one, if I'm going to be honest. like That's unfortunate to hear you say, because for me, that was the only good one. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, um, unironically, I'm not just no. saying that. I do think that that was actually the best one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, do we want to talk about what happens in it or that? Like, because I feel like something happens really early, but that's like a big spoiler almost. But also this movie. Well, I think I have the most to say about that, about that one. Uh, Like not out of us two, I have the most to say, but out of all of the stories, I think that's the one that I'm the most interested in talking about. So um, and because that's Anna Kendrick anyway, why don't we end on that one and talk briefly about the other ones first? Okay, sure. Uh, let's start with the Jennifer Lopez one then. What do you think of that one? Um, it's fine. <laughs> I think like the, here's something I'm gonna end up saying with all of these is all of these have potential to be an interesting movie in and of themselves. I'm not gonna say that necessarily the screenwriting potential is there because like you couldn't just expand that script out. But the stories they're telling are interesting in and of themselves. But, like, all mushed together like this, some of them end up having not enough time. Some of them end up having too much time, but, like, not likable enough characters. And, like, there's just a variety of different things that kind of go wrong with these. I think the Jennifer Lopez storyline, uh, in, in her storyline, Jennifer Lopez is, um, uh, who is the guy with her? Oh, it has such a huge, huge cast. Jennifer Lopez and her partner are getting ready to adopt a child from Ethiopia. And Jennifer Lopez is very ready for it. She's ready to go. She's like extremely excited. But her partner is, um, he wants to do this as well, but he's scared to like adopt a kid. He's, it's a lot of extra responsibility that he doesn't know how to deal with. So most of that storyline actually involves him uh, hanging out with Chris Rock and Joe Manganiello and Thomas Lennon at, in in their dude group, where they just like bring all their kids and walk around the park. So that's what most of that storyline ends up revolving around. I guess. What did you think? I thought that whole plot line. I mean, I didn't really care for Jennifer Lopez's plot part of that plot. Like it was a very like what she lost she loses her job so she can't afford the baby anymore but then she's lying to her partner about it i just thought like this is just stupid like because they couldn't adopt the child if she didn't have a job anyways right like why are you lying about it It doesn't make sense to me yeah i think especially because they were she was like pressuring him into buying a new house which she wasn't realizing i don't know Mm -hmm. really really that wasn't really resolved but i thought yeah i thought that plot line was like a really big dud the husband one or the one with the dads was kind of really saved by Chris Rock. I thought it was like really corny and cheesy and bleh. Um, but Chris Rock's career, I don't know why he's in this movie, honestly. Like it was such a weird, like, I thought it was just going to be a cameo or something, but he has like a very strong supporting role in it. I would say that, yeah, he's he's definitely an important 
character, if not necessarily one, if not necessarily like a main character. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I was just surprised to see him here. And I think he really brought that plot line up from the depths of despair, basically, because it was it was kind of cheesy and bad, but I think he brought a lot of charisma to it. And I feel like his charisma kind of brought the others up as well. It was like infectious charisma. I don't know how to say it. Yeah, and because Chris Rock is like a talented improv comedian, he was really, really able to make the the shots that were in it, that were clearly included to just show like a cute kid running around. He was able to like bring those out and make them really funny. Chris Rock has a kid; his character has a kid in this that's like four years old and kind of a dope. So he's just like constantly running around and falling down and doing little kid stuff, which is cute when you just see the footage but with chris rock like calling out to him like hey keep up buddy and then he like falls over some skunk or something and then like hits his head it ends up being really funny yeah there there was some surprisingly comedic moments with him i wasn't expecting to laugh in this movie i'm not gonna lie Mm -hmm. um so yeah that was all right uh what else do we have we have the girl what's what's her name the from pitch perfect this is actually kind of a pitch perfect reunion movie the well, the yeah. one with two people from Pitch Perfect, that plot line. Elizabeth yeah, so something. Elizabeth Banks. Banks um, and Rebel Wilson's in there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of that one? Uh, that was the worst one for me. I thought that Elizabeth <laughs> Elizabeth Banks was... I think that the specifically Elizabeth Banks and Ben Falcone, who plays her partner, those parts specifically were really bad. They were my least favorite part of the whole movie because I thought that Elizabeth Banks, like... I don't know exactly what it is because everything she does on camera should be funny. None of it is like especially egregiously bad from Elizabeth Banks, but none of it lands. I just found it really, really not funny. And like, I didn't find her role as like the runner of a mommy store, but like she can't become a mom herself. I didn't find that particularly engaging, which maybe that that could definitely have something to do with the fact that I'm a uh, young man who probably wouldn't need a mommy store anytime soon. But I don't know. I just found it like not super interesting and I didn't find it very funny. That said, I'll hold off for just a sec, but she is related to another plot line of this that I thought was really, really good. Mm. Um, yeah, about the Elizabeth Banks plotline, I, I also was just really kind of confused the whole time as to what the point was, except for, I, I actually thought Rebel Wilson was kind of funny in this, <laughs> I'm like, like, I thought everything was so drab, but she actually brought, like, a little flair to it, especially at the end with the speech, um, I thought she made that good. It was a little weird, though, I think Rebel Wilson was putting on, like, a Southern American accent, and, like... I'm not 100% sure if she was just doing that as a bit in one scene or if she was like actually constantly trying to put on an accent because she sounds very Australian in this movie, obviously, because she is. But then like when she's trying to do like an American hick accent, it comes across so weird because it's clearly an Australian doing an accent and it was really bizarre to me to watch. I actually didn't even notice. I, I guess some of the accent for Rebel Wilson is just so ambiguous at this point for me. Yeah, fair enough. That, like, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. But that's a good point. I never thought of that. I need to watch it again now. See, this this movie <laughs> just keeps on giving. But, yeah, it's it's related to another plot line that, because Elizabeth Banks' husband has a famous race car driving, ex-race car driving dad, right? 
Yes. And he has a very young wife, I believe. Yeah. Um, the girl from He's Just Not That Into You, which is the Adam Sandler movie from like eight, nine years ago. Uh, these are the only two things I've seen her in, I believe. And the, I bet there's like a competitiveness between the son and the dad in terms of the pregnancy and just life in general. He has some father issues, I guess, that are just starting to be addressed because he is becoming a father. So there, he's a thinking a lot about that especially because his dad's also having two more children he's having twins Mm -hmm. so i don't know what do you think of that kind of the funny part of that is his dad being a race car driver is like extremely competitive but also like super cocky and like just he's competitive in that he sees everything as a competition but he's not actually that competitive because he sees everything as a competition that he's already won and like especially versus his son he comes across like It ends up being really funny because it's like, you know, his wife gets pregnant around the same time. His like his wife looks like she's going to have a slightly earlier delivery date. So like he wins that Uh, he's having twins where his son is only having one kid. So looks like he won that one, too. I actually thought Dennis Quaid was really funny in this. Really funny. And like. As much as this movie had emotional moments that actually did hit, I think Dennis Quaid got, like, one of the handful of them. Yeah, I thought he was really funny in this just because of, like, how competitive he is, but also how just consistently jolly. Like, his son, like, his son is clearly pissed off at him all the time, and he just doesn't even realize it. He's like, oh, you know what? Whatever. Yeah. I, I think he brought a lot of charisma. I don't know if necessarily... Um, I thought the plot was just kind of confusing. And, like, I think there was a lot of potential in this one because that is, like, an interesting... That's almost like a... I think you could have made a movie of that on itself. Like, the whole... The dad is competing with his son, but he has he's having two kids, and his, his new wife is basically... I think she was, like, younger than his son... I think what you're describing right now might actually be the plot to the movie Kicking and Screaming. Well, there you go. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a lot of potential, I guess, in expanding the storyline. And that's the thing. I feel like it didn't get enough focus, so I never really felt anything for it. And I was just mostly kind of confused as to the whole dynamic. I, I was still wondering because she kept calling, like, the, the stepmom was referring to the stepson as, like, her own son even though she was younger than him. And that just, like, really threw me off a few times because, like, what, is is that the actual mom? Are they, like, what, what are they doing no. here? Yeah. That that um, was actually his stepmom, not yeah. his actual mom. Yeah, no, I, I figured eventually because I was just, like, it's not believable. But, yeah, that was that was kind of um, an interesting plot line. I just, I think it had a lot more potential than it was given, so it kind of fell flat. Yeah. Well, I think, like, As I said earlier, I think every single plot line in this has the potential, if they wanted to develop it, to be its own movie. And, like, I don't know that necessarily every single one of them would have worked, and certainly they wouldn't have all worked as, like, let's make five movies instead of this one. But, like, there's enough interesting stuff here that, like, the basic ideas that are presented in every single one of these plot lines are fantastic and could be their own movie. The one with Dennis Quaid, he's a hotshot ex-race car driver who's like super competitive with his son and both of their wives get pregnant at the same time. That's a good enough premise. Like you can make a whole movie out of that and it would give, you know, all of those different actors a lot more to work with. 
the biggest problem with Dennis Quaid in this movie is that he's not in it enough. And with the rest of those people in that, it's like, you said you were confused a little bit because it didn't have enough time to like talk about this storyline. And if it was a whole movie, then maybe it, that wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah. Uh, actually, well, like now that I think about it, the Anna Kendrick storyline is also a, a movie that we reviewed before, basically. Is it? Yeah. Well, the one with Shia LaBeouf and uh, like it's, it's mostly the same thing, right? I guess they're more of a couple, but I don't know. We'll talk about that later. But the, also the, Speaking of I that, the, about it, but yeah, okay. the Cameron, the next uh, plotline is the Cameron Diaz plotline, where she is related to the the son of the race car driver because he she helped him lose a lot of weight and she's a celebrity weight loss coach. Yeah, like it's basically she's like she runs like the Biggest Loser knockoff yeah. show in this. And she got knocked up by a person who, who by her dancing instructor on dancing with the stars which i can't remember what they call it in this but like yeah yeah and that was a very big dud for me i i think camera diaz was actually surprisingly like charismatic in this i don't usually like her that much but it was i just didn't i thought it was a really lame plot line i don't really understand what the point of it was i actually don't remember anything about that plot line except (laughs) that it happened so yeah like i'm I watched it last night and I literally, I'm trying to figure out what the, the conflict of that whole thing was. Yeah. Um, I guess she wanted to, I guess the main thing was that she was a very busy woman and she didn't want to sacrifice her independence because of the baby, but she wanted to keep the baby. Mm-hmm. She was hoping her partner would understand that. But also that same conflict is kind of in the Elizabeth Banks plotline where she wants to be doing her, her stuff while also yeah. being a working mother. The main difference between those two is that Cameron Diaz and her partner in this, they hadn't been together for very long. Like they were basically only together because uh, he knocked her up. So they were two both very fiercely independent people having to deal with, I guess, compromise, except like neither of them liked that. I don't know. And doesn't feel like it was ever resolved either. Like that. Not really. It just kind of ends. Yeah, I think it's another one where, like, you know, there's enough story potential there if you wanted to develop that into a whole story. But, like, as it is, it just kind of didn't really make much of a flash. Yeah, maybe if I was a celebrity, I would understand it more. But it wasn't very relatable, I guess, Yeah. in this context. But, yeah, and then that kind of brings us to our last plot line. The one you really liked and the one I didn't really like, uh, the Anna Kendrick plot line. Do you want to, I guess, you sh- since you liked it, you should explain it. So this is basically the only part of this, like, this is the only plot line we can't talk about without basically spoilers. So, you know, if spoilers matter to you, tap out here, because this is spoilers for what to expect when you're expecting. Anna Kendrick's plot line involves Anna Kendrick and Chase Crawford, who I adi- initially didn't recognize, but he's the guy who plays The Deep on The Boys, if you've watched that. Yeah. So they're both rival food truck owners. And after one night, they like sort of start talking and get involved. Uh, One thing leads to the other and Anna Kendrick becomes pregnant. So they decide to like kind of get into a relationship and see if they can make it work. But then Anna Kendrick loses the baby. Yeah. And that's... Unfortunately, that's kind of where that storyline ends. Like, we get a little bit after that of 
them dealing with the fallout of that, except that since there's no longer a baby involved, the movie just kind of moves on to the places where there is, which I think is a little bit unfortunate. But for me, this was, I mean, it's obviously the most tragic plot line, but I also thought that this was like, this might've been the strongest in terms of writing. And I definitely thought it was the strongest in terms of acting. Neither Anna Kendrick nor Chase Crawford is like the most fun person to see on the screen in this movie because that's Chris Rock and Dennis Quaid. But like, I think that they're the ones doing the most like acting, if that makes sense. Not in a way of like the most flashy acting, but they're having to actually go to emotional places with their characters in ways that I don't think any of the other actors in this movie really have to. Basically, I thought they were performing where... For example, like I thought Cameron Diaz and Elizabeth Banks and Jennifer Lopez were fine, but they were kind of phoning it in. Like this did not seem like a difficult role for them. Um, yeah, so for me, I just I thought the plot line was like definitely interesting. I mean, like I said earlier, this is the plot of a movie. What was the what is it called? Is it Pieces of a Woman? Is that it? Pieces of a Woman is the one I yeah. think you're thinking of, yeah. Where where she also has a miscarriage at the start and then it's just kind of the rest of the movie's dealing with the after effects of it and how what that can do to you psychologically. I guess then that, that was more of a the pregnancy or the the birth uh, didn't work out. Whereas this was more of a this was more miscarriage. But I I feel like the themes mm-hmm. were similar. But yeah, anyways, I I just thought it was extremely tonally jarring when watching the rest of the movie. Like you have these really weird cutesy cartoonist Chris Rock scenes. And then stupid celebrity scenes. And then, like, the next scene you go to is, like, just out of nowhere. Anna Kendrick's having a miscarriage. (laughs) And then you get these really sad music. And it's a very extended scene. You're just like, what? It was such a mild, feel-good movie. And then this comes out of nowhere. And then after this scene, you go back to the weird, fun stuff again. Like, fun, quote-unquote stuff. And it's just very out of... Yeah. That's why it didn't really hit for me. Yeah, it it is very tonally jarring. Like... After coming out of this movie, most of this movie didn't resonate with me enough that I liked it that much, but I really liked that plot line. And so what it ended up being is that most of this movie detracted from the Anna Kendrick plot line for me, because I thought that like, as I said, I personally thought that was the strongest scripted and the strongest performed plot line. It's just that it was, as you said, so tonally jarring and like not consistent with everything else in the movie that like it is just like watching half of pieces of a woman just out of nowhere which is a really dark movie like pieces of a woman is a hard watch honestly i i I laughed when that like the whole miscarriage thing happened because it was just really funny how out of nowhere and like dramatic it became it felt like a soap opera scene or whatever Mm -hmm. so yeah it was definitely, um, I, I don't think, executed properly and maybe could have been saved for, you know, like a, a different movie as has been done, I mm-hmm. guess. But, but I feel like the miscarriage is kind of like the peak of the whole storyline. I mean, it has to happen first, but I don't really feel like that storyline goes anywhere after that either. Like there's the whole, like she was only with him because... Uh, well, I mean, she liked him, but in her mind, she was kind of upset, and she she felt the only reason they were together was because of the baby, which in a lot of ways it was, but also, you know, there might there's probably feelings there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, that doesn't really resolve in a climax. It just kind of like 
slowly by coincidence end up together kind of like because they bump into each other a couple times and they talk a bit and then they just kind of like oh like maybe this will work out but it was just like nothing really spurs that or changes i think i mean i think that's my biggest complaint about this movie is that plot line just kind of dies after the miscarriage. Like the miscarriage happens and then we focus on the other plot lines because there's no longer a baby involved, which is like a really cruel thing to do to that entire plot line, in my opinion. But also I get it because like it's a movie focusing on pregnancy and when a pregnancy ends, well, that person has no place in this movie anymore. Cruel, but I get it. I feel like when they made this movie, obviously their target audience would be potentially pregnant mothers or maybe people interested in pregnancy in the future and then they go to watch this fun kind of cutesy movie and then they get hit with like a miscarriage plot line like Mm. 20 minutes into the movie i feel like that might have turned off a lot of people too like in theaters yeah i do have to wonder like why was that plot line in this movie i mean (laughs) i i can think of reasons it's just that like this movie is generally such a kind of a feel-good low-stakes movie and then out of nowhere, you've got that bit there, which like, I don't think is bad, but is really out of place. Yeah. And it's like, it wasn't really related to anything else too. Like it was very, very slightly related to the other characters in that they had a food truck in the park where Chris Rock and his friends hung out. And also they fed food to the guy that was losing weight before and that's really it, right? Oh, no. The Anna Kendrick's cousin is... Married to the race car driver. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But that that also is shoved in at the very end. And there's no payoff for that because they never meet. Which is really like... So I, it felt like this plotline was almost like added in at the last second too. Because they were like, oh, wait. This movie doesn't have enough dramatic stuff. Let's shove this random plotline in there. And hope it adds some weight to it. But yeah, it wasn't really necessary. And this movie was already too long. This movie should have been like maybe an hour... 20 minutes yeah but it was like one one hour 50 which was way too long mm-hmm. um, yeah anyways well but what did you think of anna kendrick i thought she was great in this we've been seeing a lot more movies where like i'm actually starting to second guess my um initial impression going into this whole series that you can like really typecast anna kendrick because i've got in my mind what the typical anna kendrick role normally is and like we've seen surprisingly few of those Noel for sure but beyond that like not that many and I think that once again like it's not that she's never played a character like this before she definitely has but this character is like actually different from the other characters she's played you know it's not like in all of her other roles she's playing an American and in this one she's playing an alien or something but like this is a more dramatic turn from her and like she has to bring like a lot more emotion than I guess you would expect, except she's clearly able to. Yeah. I don't know. It's a really good, it's a really good supporting role. And actually it it could be a good main role, except that this is a movie that is really stingy on its main roles. Like barely anyone, even even the people who are technically the main cast in this movie aren't really the main cast. Yeah. I, I liked her too. I actually thought her, like, she wasn't obviously given much to do, but I thought it was just yeah. a very real performance. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they chose her well because she feels like a very real person when on screen. So I think that's both the greatest weakness and the greatest strength of that whole story arc is that's the story arc that feels, in my opinion, the most real, whether you like it or not. But the problem is that like it's shoved into this movie that feels like not real at all. So like when you compare Cameron Diaz's performance to Anna Kendrick's performance, Cameron Diaz is playing a cartoon character. And Anna Kendrick is playing a person. And like, it just feels jarringly out of place to have those two in the same movie. Yeah, for sure. But I guess like, I don't know, overall, it was like a very decent watch. I went in with zero expectations. But like, yeah, it, it turned out like, like I, I sort of enjoyed myself, despite it being overly long and just very much not really taking anything from it. It was... It was not a terrible way to spend my time, but I definitely wouldn't have chosen to watch this if I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> yeah, I would say basically the same. And like in the future, there is a good chance I'll rewatch the first 15 minutes of this because at around the 15 minute mark, Chase Crawford and Anna Kendrick both talk about recipes for a different kind of cheese sandwich. And I want to learn that how to make that kind of cheese sandwich. But other than that, like, honestly, as soon as Anna Kendrick was basically out of this movie, the rest of the movie just kind of dragged for me. And like, I didn't hate it, but I probably wouldn't watch it again other than to learn how to make that cheese sandwich. Beautiful. Um, do you want to take a quick break? Yeah, yeah. Let's come back and talk about a movie that uh, I think I would actually watch again. Welcome back, everyone, to the second half of this podcast, or you could even say the 50-50 part <laughs> of the podcast. You know, I, I tried, man. I know what you're trying to say. Maybe that's one we should have we should have written out first. Yeah. I think it worked. I, there it was worked potential well there. Um, because we are talking about the Jonathan Levine-directed 2011 film, 50-50, starring... Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Seth Rogen, and Anna Kendrick. Hell yeah. For obvious reasons. Well, yeah, and like, this is another one where Anna Kendrick has a big role, which I'm really happy about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? Before we go on, Pierre, do you want to describe this one? Sure, this is a tale about Adam Lerner, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is diagnosed with cancer at the start of the film. Um, and he's not, obviously, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's not an old actor, so this is a relatively young guy. 
and he basically is going through or the movie is going him dealing with the cancer in terms of like treating it with chemotherapy how it affects his friends and his family and his girlfriend and him navigating like <laughs> navigating the life of a cancer patient um and it's yeah. kind of a i'd say like it has comedic tones but it's very much a maybe more of a dramedy i would say mm-hmm. it would be the best term for it because obviously i think like the pairing of seth rogan and joseph gordon levitt could potentially be very funny so there's like a lot of chemistry there but it's very much a it's a very dark movie in a lot of ways well i mean like if you look at the cast here of joseph gordon levitt seth rogan anna kendrick and bryce dallas howard this is a dramatic movie starring many funny people yeah oh well, like jonathan levine too seems to like comedies from what i can tell um at, at least after 50 50 i don't know any of these movies before 50 50 but you know he's worked with Seth Rogen on the night before, and mm. The Long Shot, um, which were both mostly comedies. I'd say they weren't that funny, if I'm going to be honest. But like, they were definitely aimed to be comedies. But yeah, I'd say Fifty Fifty is definitely the highlight of his filmography. Of the ones I've seen, I would agree. Yeah, it's it it is a very good movie. I don't know. I I guess it it's it it's very like because I'm not going to lie. Again, when I saw this cast, I thought it was going to be more of a humorous take but it, it's it's a very just real raw story in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and i guess and it's almost like uncomfortable to watch i'm not gonna lie like i think they make it extremely comfortable like as comfortable as possible in terms of like yeah again like i i keep saying this but like this cast is very like friendly if that makes sense it's a very mm-hmm. friendly cast and it's i feel like shot and like directed kind of more lightheartedly but yeah, you, you you know like any I feel like any movie about someone dealing with cancer is not going to be funny in the end and like that lighthearted. So it, there's like it strikes a good balance and it's very I guess the best way to say would be it's a warm it's a warm movie. I don't know like it's it's kind of a slice of life movie too in a way. Mm-hmm. Even though like not many people go through cancers like at that age. So but it's still surprisingly relatable. Um, I don't know what do yeah. you think. I thought it was really good. I actually didn't really know what I was getting into with this movie. Like, I I didn't go into it completely blind. I knew it was about a guy who had cancer. But basically, all that I knew about this movie before I watched it was, I think I had seen a trailer a long, long time ago, like when this came out, where him and where Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Seth Rogen go to the bar to pick up girls using his cancer as like oh well he's got cancer so you guess you got to come home with us and like i don't know exactly but like they do that in the movie where you know he's getting over uh some relationship issues and they go to the club and pick up girls using his cancer and so that's really the only thing i knew about this movie going in so i definitely thought as well that it was going to be more more of a comedy than a drama but yeah as you said it's very it's pretty raw. Like Joseph Gordon-Levitt is, you know, he's he's always fun to watch, but he's not really that funny in this movie. And um, you know, all of the characters, even even Seth Rogen, as much as like he's definitely the funny guy of the whole group, he's also like this is also like one of his more dramatic performances too. Yeah, I I mean, we don't often see Seth Rogen in the drama stuff, but I mean like um, I lo- I remember liking him a lot in S- Steve Jobs. I was one of the, f- I think the first mm-hmm. dramatic role I saw him in. 
was really good in that. It really opened my eyes to what he could do. And in this, yeah, I definitely say he he struck a good balance of being the the kind of I guess more comedic character in the dynamic because playing uh, against Joseph Gordon-Levitt's more of a straight man. But also, I I wouldn't say he was comedic in a way that made it feel um, it was just very real comedy. And I feel like Seth Rogen really toned himself down in a way like he's not as Seth Rogen uh, as he usually is. He's more normal, I guess. But that I think that like uh, that's helped a lot. And also like because I think it was important that they cast a comedic character. But I feel like Seth Mm -hmm. Rogen does bring a lot of um, warmth like his his dynamic because I feel like those two are like very much the heart of the movie right yeah um, obviously like, they're both on the poster and stuff so like this this was like the main the main relationship of the movie and like uh, I think like the they have a lot of really good chemistry and I feel like it like without that dynamic the movie doesn't work like at all mm-hmm. which is great especially like because like a lot of the other relationships Joseph Gordon-Levitt has in the movie are like really negative for him yeah, well, I think it's um, as as you said, this it, cancer at twenty seven isn't something a lot of people go through. But I think it's really interesting to sort of explore what is it like to basically think you're gonna die at twenty seven and have a really really good reason to think that. And what it ends up doing is like he ends up finding out uh, over the course of this movie, he starts sort of finding out which parts of his life are actually not working and that he needs to change except that you know he can cut out toxic people in his life but it's not he can't replace them with anything because he's expecting to die so you know it's sort of uh it's a good way of like showing him navigating and figuring out which parts of his life are good and which aren't except that it's a really hard thing to resolve because at the end it doesn't really matter except that because he's basically doing his own palliative care, I think is the name basically like where you just try and make your own life. What I'm trying to say is he's trying to make his own life as nice as he can, uh, as nice as he can before he dies. And I mean, I guess it's not entirely just him because he's coming to terms with that as well. But like, what is it like when at 27 you think you're going to die in a year or less? Yeah. Um, especially I, I thought his the dynamic with him and Bryce Dallas Howard was honestly really it was really tough to watch and I thought she actually mm-hmm. did a really good job I don't usually like her performances from what I've seen but like I thought this she she was really good at just making me dislike her you know but like it's like hard for me because it's like I understand she's in a really really tough position you know like and obviously like I think being in that position like a lot of your emotions are confusing and like your actions might be confusing but like that really like it was obvious it was like a a toxic relationship or whatever yeah i think that was like a relatable plot line for people but like it was also made more interesting because of the fact that he had cancer and it just like i guess pushed their relationship to a point where these cracks started to show especially that's like the and the the conflict between Seth Rogen's character and her character was also really cool too because they both kind of want to do what's best but but I I, I guess it might have been more interesting if they were more maybe because I feel like everyone wants to take Seth Rogen's side because he's actually hasn't really done any much wrong at least not in the context of the movie yeah yeah so like I wish there was maybe more of a decision for him whether like he should choose his 
like best friend or his girlfriend and what's actually right for him. But then also I feel like that might have added too much to the movie, especially when you add in Anna Kendrick's character who's clearly supposed to be the next relationship yeah. person for him. So you kind of need Bryce Dallas Howard out of there in a way that doesn't affect the pacing too much. So Yeah, actually on that note, I kind of think that like one of my only problems with this movie is I kind of wish that Joseph Gordon, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Seth Rogen have like a great, they have great chemistry. They have an ultimately really good friendship and Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bryce Dallas Howard have a toxic relationship that ends and probably should end making no judgments on either of them. They are not right for each other. And at least in the context of this movie. So yeah, that should definitely end. But I think what was really interesting to me about Seth Rogen's character is how insanely forward he is. Like when he gets the chance to expose Bryce Dallas Howard's character (laughs) for cheating, he literally walks into the room that shows the picture that he took on his phone and said, look at this. And just like is very loud and extremely forward about it. And it's, it's interesting because you know, the way, what I would have expected is, tradition well not traditionally but like in other movies i'd seen it would be like okay well now that we know that she's doing something wrong how do i subtly show this to my friend without her knowing and he's like no he doesn't even have that filter i thought that was an interesting character for him but at the same time i think it leads to my my only real complaint about joseph gordon levitt and seth rogan's dynamic in this is like seth rogan is almost never questioned by joseph gordon levitt because, like, it's not that, like, Seth Rogen is always in the right. It's just that even at his most inappropriate, it doesn't seem like Joseph Gordon-Levitt ever, like, really cares to call Seth Rogen out on anything he's doing. And, like, I don't know. Does that make sense? Does that make sense of what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I think that was also part of his character arc, too. There's definitely, like, a Breaking Bad element, I'm not going to lie, where because he is, he feels his life is ending, he wants to take control of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that does kind of happen close to, well, well maybe not but like because there there is the whole they they do fight at a certain point and i eventually wait are we doing spoilers at all i mean i, I think at this point we kind of are um like but one of the go. one of the most uh, heartwarming moments was when he finds the books that seth rogan had with all the like how to help your friend with cancer i think that really kind of like, even though, like, Seth Rogen's character is really annoying throughout the whole thing, I think it, like, or in some ways really annoying, I think it it's all redeemed because of the fact that he finds those books, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it kind of ties it all together. I want to compare it almost to, like, what's that movie with, the animated movie uh, with Tom Holland and Chris Pratt? Uh, uh, Onward. Onward, yeah. Where, like, that was definitely more of a, like, the brother character in that was, like, a just really annoying and didn't show any redeeming qualities. I thought Seth Rogen struck like a good balance and that, that mm-hmm. the book scene tied it up in the end, I guess. Yeah. Um, but also like, I think it was almost necessary to make the movie more interesting too. Like you said, the, the whole scene about him using his friend to hit on chicks because he has cancer is honestly one of the most memorable parts of the movie, even though yeah. technically it makes Seth Rogen's character seem like a complete asshole. And in a lot of ways, that was a, was a really shallow thing to do. It is what makes the movie interesting, too. Because you're, you're, these two guys are also kind of navigating their own feelings about it and, like, figuring it out, if that makes sense. So Yeah. 
I, I really like that stuff. And uh, speaking of navigating feelings, let's talk about the therapist. Sure, yeah. I thought this pairing was really cool because honestly, I think these two are like Anna Kendrick and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are two very real people actors, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. They have charisma, but not in a way that makes them feel like stars. They feel like very regular people. Mm-hmm. So I thought that they're perfect for this movie. And I thought that dynamic was really interesting, but also really healthy. Because I think they they had a lot of charisma in, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they, was never like, they were never like really lovey-dovey or whatever, I think like it felt like a more realistic way of portraying how you would learn to get feelings for someone. Yeah, it, it was a very like realistic and natural arc because it never comes to anything until the very end. And even at the very end, it's like, you know, it's not like they're together now forever. It's they go on one date at the very end because that's how the movie ends. Yeah. And I also really like the idea of making Anna Kendrick the new therapist that's insecure about how young she is. I thought that was a really cool because like that leaves a lot more room for conflict in that he feels more okay questioning her capability slash intentions, which I thought made that a lot more interesting too. And believable because like obviously if you have cancer and you're given I think he was she was was she younger than him? Yep. Yeah. She was three years younger. She was three years younger, right? So like I, I would be really pissed if I had like had to take advice in that situation from someone younger than me because I feel like you'd just be like under a lot of stress and that would just further kind of make you think of that further make you frustrated so but yeah that dynamic was really good I I, I guess you agree so far with me so yeah I basically agree Uh, I would also say like I really think that um, making her the new therapist and even be younger than him that really helps feed into the themes of this movie as well because like the four top billed people in this movie, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Seth Rogen, Anna Kendrick, and Bryce Dallas Howard, all four of them are having to navigate Joseph Gordon-Levitt getting cancer at 27, you know, in their own ways. And each of them, and I think that all four of those actors do a really good job of portraying four very different responses to getting that information and like having to process that. And like, I don't think you would get that if, at least with the therapist character, I think you would basically exclude the therapist character from that equation if it had been someone like Meryl Streep being the therapist, you know, someone who's significantly older than Joseph Gordon-Levitt and has probably had patients with cancer before. Like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt being her third patient ever and, like, probably her first patient that's anything like this and like depending on how you decide to interpret it it sounds like her first two patients maybe didn't go that well so like i think that that a whole character really helps add to this kind of four-way dynamic in this movie yeah i also love the the chemotherapy group it was yes. really really good funnily enough it reminds me a lot of the group of dad's from uh, what to expect when you're expecting now that I think about it. Except this was like done right, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, yeah. This was a really good plot line. And especially with the contrast of how old those patients were compared to him, um, mm-hmm. I think added a lot to it. Like if this was like what to expect when you're expecting type movie, they would have been all like, oh, we're all young and with cancer, but we're still cool, right? Or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like, I think this put them in a much more interesting position and helped him grow. And I, I love like, cause they gave him a lot of advice too, I think. And I think that was like, especially when you contrast them with like 
his parents, which was like a, a difficult relationship too. I thought that gave a lot of kind of closure in terms of mentorship in the movie in some mm-hmm. ways. I guess the whole movie is just like him and his various relationships and they're all done really, really well. Now I do have a question for you before we get into the normal questions we would have. Did you also watch this movie yesterday? Because no. you said you watched What to Expect when you're expecting yesterday. No, I actually haven't watched this movie for a while. Oh, okay. Darn, that does kind of take well, away the my question. question. I'm gonna have, I was going to ask if you thought that this worked really well as a as a double bill with the other movie, which I can probably answer, but I got to try and figure out how to... Because I did watch them yesterday, both back-to-back, basically. Mm. But the heart of my question here is, the last time we did two movies on this show, and we did like half devoted to one movie and half devoted to the other, we were talking about the movies Elsewhere and End of Watch, mm-hmm. which ended up being not really that similar. There were some very specific similarities we could draw, but ultimately they were pretty surface level. I guess my question is, do you think that these movies have much in common? Because I think they have more in common than Elsewhere and End of Watch did. Yeah, I'd definitely say like they're both very r- real movies about like some big life events, potentially. Mm-hmm. I'd definitely say one deals with it a lot better than the other it's like this 50 50 is the movie you would have gotten if you took one of the plot lines from what to expect when you're expecting one of the good ones with potential and actually expanded on it and Mm -hmm. brought it to its fullest potential because i feel like with 50 50 like while it's not like a masterpiece or anything i cannot think of a way you could have told the story of a young cancer patient better like i i don't know what i would have added to make it better Um, It definitely hit its peak, right? And its fullest potential, I feel like. So I kind of like it in that if I feel like if you're into filmmaking, you can notice what one movie did right compared to the other and how it like truly like this is the movie that what to expect, what you're expecting would have been if it was at its fullest potential too. potentially. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I like that word a lot potential right now. Yeah, this movie like 50-50 gave me everything that I wanted from that from that small Anna Kendrick subplot in what to expect when you're expecting, because again, that was the one subplot of that movie that felt real. And like, like a lot of effort really went into it. And that, and like, it wasn't trying to be a feel good comedy where everything else, even if it worked for what it was, well, it felt like it was trying to be light and that's not a problem. Most of those stories were fairly light and, and, easy to watch but the one story that wasn't kind of felt like it didn't have that as a crutch like it never needed to excuse the fact that it was real and dramatic you know i don't think that worked in what to expect when you're expecting that much because it was out of place either in a way where as you said like that you can't really appreciate that as being any better than the others because it's just so out of place or for me where i thought that was so much better than the others that i actually hated every other plot line and with 50 50 like you didn't have to have that balance like this movie was just that same feeling not necessarily that same plot line but that same feeling sort of stretched out to um feature length and it didn't feel too long and it felt like Everyone was, I mean, I keep, I keep saying this, you've said this a bunch, everyone just felt real. Like, it just felt like a really authentic movie about 
someone's authentic experience, which it was because this is based on the screenwriter's actual experience having cancer at a young age. Mm. Well, I actually didn't know that. That's pretty cool. I guess that's not to say, though, I like I feel like the anthology movie can work. You just like I think a lot of people, a lot of the directors really they think it's easier because they're like, OK, I just need to half ass a bunch of plots and stitch them together in editing and have them slightly related to make a good movie. But like, I mean, Pulp Fiction is a good example of that, I guess. Like mm-hmm. if each story is really, really good, even though it's short, you can make an amazing movie. It's just, I think a lot of filmmakers see it as a shortcut. Even Love Actually, which is, I would say tonally a little more dynamic than Pulp Fiction. It's not as good as Pulp Fiction, but I would say that like tonally, it's a little more all over the place. And like, Love actually works. It's not the best movie ever made or anything. It's by far not even the best anthology movie ever made. But like, it's pretty good for what it is. And it's a classic. And so like, you can make an anthology, even one with very different stories, and it can work. But like, it's not a shortcut, like you said. Not at all. Did we talk about it? We kind of talked about Anna Kendrick, right? So would it be I more think, like... I think so. Would you? Where would you place this in her... Or would you play both... We didn't talk about the other movies. So like, where would you place both these movies? In terms of Anna Kendrick's performance in these, I would put them both pretty high because I think these were really... These were basically Anna Kendrick doing what she does best, which is being that real person, that like relatable character that all she has to do is feel like a real human being. And like... That's shockingly difficult for a lot of actors to do. And I think that Anna Kendrick nails it in both of these movies. I don't think I would put them right on top, but these are definitely up near the better performances from her. For me, I'd say, I think 50-50 is probably my second favorite after Up in the Air. Uh, maybe really close with end, with end of Watch, but I, I just don't see it. I Actually, wait, movies in general, definitely like top three. Anna mm-hmm. Kendrick movie... Actually, no, it's it's definitely a top-tier one, too. Yeah. Uh, I'd say, honestly, her performance in this was, like, I'd say matched with, like, Pitch Perfect and Up in the Air for one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. And then What to Expect When You're Expecting, definitely one of the worst movies here. Actually, no, honestly, I'll put it, like, slightly below. Like, this was, this was like, Pitch Perfect 3 tier, I guess. Or, like, it was really stupid, but, like, I didn't hate myself while watching it, so it was, like, kind of all right. Yeah. And I wasn't really bored too bored in terms of Anna Kendrick performances I'd actually say it's maybe more of an upper tier one too definitely not as high as the other ones but yeah and I would say that in terms of just movies I think I put 50 50 as number five overall like it's it's very very close to the top what to expect when you're expecting I put right near the worst Twilight movie a little bit above it I don't think it's as bad as I believe it's Eclipse is the one that I don't like Uh, it's not as bad as that but like, it's just nothing special. Basically, I put it below average. It's not aggressively bad. It's just not something that I'm likely to go watch again in terms of like, as a full movie. It's one of the only movies we've watched where I think it's made worse for me by the fact that I like Anna Kendrick in it so much. Because like, the moment she's out of the movie, I completely lose interest. Yeah. Well, I well, I can't agree to that, but... No, I mean, you, you don't have to agree, but yeah. like you get what I'm saying, though, right? I do like, get what you're saying. I like her so much in that movie that 
it would bring it up if she was in it more, which she isn't. So since she's not in it more, it's like you're giving me this thing I like and then you're depriving me of it for the rest of the movie. (laughs) Cool. Do we know what movie we're doing next? We do know what movie we're doing next, and we've got a very, very, very special guest who I won't announce just yet. But the next movie we're going to be doing is a movie directed by one of my favorite directors, John Krasinski. We're going to talk about the movie The Hollers, which I literally have no idea about it. I, I saw the I saw the poster, and the poster makes it look like an anthology movie. So maybe this is our second anthology movie? Maybe it isn't. I'm not sure. We're about to find out. <laughs>